This is Reaching the Finish Line. And I'm your host, Callan Dix. Check out the website, www.reachingthefinishline.com. And pick up my free report. Save up to 75% what they don't want you to know. Reachingthefinishline.com. And welcome. Today, I am delighted to have Dr. Sarah Ballantyne. Sarah is the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Approach, as well as she authored uh, a cookbook called The Paleo Approach Cookbook. And her new book she has out now is called The Healing Kitchen. I took the opportunity to have Sarah on because uh, one thing that I know that a lot of entrepreneurs have is unfortunately health problems. You know, a lot of times, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're working uh, 10, 12, 14, even 16 hour days. And sometimes it's hard to be kind of cognizant of our health. And many entrepreneurs have autoimmune diseases, uh, which is what we're going to talk about with Sarah in depth, but they're not even aware of these autoimmune diseases. So Sarah, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. A big portion of the audience, they're trying to get their businesses started. Um, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of hours in, as, as any startup. They're putting 14, 16 uh, hours a day trying to, trying to get their uh, business off the ground, trying to get venture capital. But one thing that holds them back is the health. And that's one thing I want to talk to you about, being that uh, you're a doctor. Uh, I want to kind of start off with when it comes to diets, because a lot of diets, they get bad reps. Some people say, oh, that's a fad diet. Oh, that diet doesn't work. Um, So as a doctor, how would you speak to that? What would you say? Would you say some fad diets are good? Would you say, you know, would you say fad diets are bad? What are your thoughts on that? So I think that how we define a fad diet is not very specific, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll call anything a fad diet typically that we don't understand. Um, we'll t- typically call anything a fad diet that is something that's designed for you to go on for a short period of time. So a lot of fad diets are designed for rapid weight loss, right? So they're things that you do uh, for a week or 10 days or 30 days, and they're you know, whether it's you know, cabbage soup diet or, um, you know, an, a, I remember one that was sort of Atkins inspired from the 90s called the new Mayo Clinic diet that had nothing to do with Mayo Clinic whatsoever. <laughs> these are, um, they tend to be diets that are focused on, on rapid weight loss. But what's happened is as the uh, sort of alternative health community has grown in the last decade or so, there's been more diets that I think have a really strong scientific backing. Um, for example, the paleo diet, which um, gets labeled as a fad diet, I think in part because it sounds intimidating. Mm-hmm. So we have this like, okay, well, if all I'm going to eat for 10 days is cabbage soup. That's the same as I never get to eat a bagel again. So mm-hmm. I'm going to put those two things in the same category. And because we don't really have a, you know, an organization that vets diets. We don't really have a scientific community that we can go to and say, okay, so which one of these things is just crazy town and which one of these things actually has some merits to it. Mm-hmm. Um, what ends up happening is with a very little 
bit of information, mm-hmm. we are sort of forced to make these like gut instinct um, sort of labels for, for what that is. So we're going to say, wow, that sounds hard. And it sounds like I have to give up a lot of things. I'm going to call it a fad diet because it just sounds like, oh, it's all about weight loss. And I think that what's happened with things like, um, plant-based diets, paleo diet, primal diet, um, traditional foods, ancestral health template, these are in the same family of diets. Mm -hmm. And, um, And they kind of all get this, like, I think there's just been so many, right? There's just, there's so Mm -hmm. many and they've all got a different, uh, a different marketing thing that happens behind them. They've all got different sound bites and we tend to just lump them all together, even though a a collection of them, you know, really have some, some scientific validity and some nutritional merits. And then it has to become a more detailed conversation. We have to be able to discuss what it is about certain foods that promote health, why it might be better to avoid some other foods. And then all of a sudden we're like, we're beyond sound bites Mm -hmm. and we're beyond labels and we're having a really detailed conversation about nutrition. And that's something that um, still the general public isn't always ready for. We're so used to the set of rules, right? So USDA has been giving us rules for so long that that's what we want. We want, what do I eat? What do I not eat? And sometimes it takes more than rules. It takes a template. Yeah. Let's get right into that. When I first started dieting, I was kind of already healthier because my grandfather was very, very kind of a kind of health extremist. I would, I would, <laughs> I, would t- I would tend to chew a lot, you know, you know, because yeah. because you know, as, as a young person, I wanted to be among my peers and I wanted to kind of eat with them, eat the things that they ate. But uh, I would probably say one of the diets I would say I probably started on. Uh, and probably was very close to it when I was young anyway, was organic diet. And that's when I became more familiar with certified organic products. And, uh, I, you know, when I, when, I first, uh, when I first learned as much about it as I possibly could, I was buying everything organic. And then, and then I started reading more, and it says, oh, well, it's not so much about organic, uh, be a vegetarian. There's not so much about being vegetarian, it's the Atkins diet. There's not so much about that, then it's the, the blood type diet. So there was all these diets, and as you, as you stated, uh, I, was, I was confused. You know, I yes. thought I, I was trying to make the healthier choice, but uh, I was overwhelmed. Now, obviously, you're a strong advocate for the paleo diet. I am, yes. What, what makes the paleo diet superior or what makes it a healthier option compared to other diets? So what the paleo diet is at its heart is a whole foods diet that hones in on the most nutrient-dense foods available to us in the food supply while avoiding foods that have compounds in them that are are inflammatory, that cause inflammation, that can negatively impact our hormone regulation or that can negatively impact the health of our gut environment. And we know that uh, what kinds of bacteria are growing in our digestive tract is a really important input to our whole health. They actually have a huge job to do that affects us. They're not parasites. We're a symbiotic relationship. We provide them with a home. They provide tons of important signals to our body that helps our body regulate itself in a healthy way. Mm. And so what the paleo diet does is it it really focuses on, you know, I think the, the core concept is getting all of the nutrients that our bodies need to be healthy every day. So getting that full complement of nutrients and not just the essential nutrients, right? Not just vitamins and minerals. There's this entire class of thousands of nutrients that we've identified that um, are not labeled as essential because we can't say like, if you don't have 
polyphenols, for example, you're going to die. We don't, we don't really, we don't have that information. Mm -hmm. So therefore we're not going to call it essential, but at the same time, we know that it's, it's still profoundly critical for health. So even if you won't die without it, there's this entire class of nutrients that you still need to be healthy and our body still uses in a very positive way. So the paleo diet really looks at this entire collection of nutrients and hones in on the foods that have the most of those nutrients for, you know, the, the lowest caloric um, contribution to our diet. So one of the things that we have happening that's causing um, or at least contributing to the rise in chronic health problems in Western cultures right now, right? cardiovascular disease and obesity mm -hmm. and diabetes. Mm -hmm. One of the problems is, is we have no shortage of food energy. There's no shortage of calories. I mean, in America alone, the food supply is making about 6,000 calories per person. And we mm -hmm. really only need about 2,000. So that's yeah. about three times is what we need. And yet there's a shortage of nutrients. When you look at essential nutrients, there's some nutrients like zinc, for example, which is the second most abundant mineral in the human body after iron. Mm. And 73% of us don't get enough from our diet. And we know that if you don't get enough zinc, your immune system can't work properly. Your um, metabolism is not going to work properly. Like it's, there's some pretty profound effects. So what the paleo diet does is it hones in on the foods that are going to give us the best nutrient bang for our buck. And then also says at the same time, and this is maybe what separates it from other diets that have this nutrient focus is, oh, and by the way, let's cut out empty calories. Let's cut out inflammatory compounds. We're going to cut out inflammatory fats. We're going to cut out refined sugars. Mm -hmm. We're going to cut out things like wheat that has gluten and wheat germagglutinin in them that are both very inflammatory proteins, no matter who you are, although certainly there are people who respond um, in a more exaggerated way than others to those mm -hmm. inflammatory compounds. But we're going to cut out these foods that are undermining health. So we're going to focus on the things that are giving us the nutrients that we need for our bodies to function optimally and cut out anything that is going to hinder our progress towards optimal health. Mm. And, and that's when you take it a step further as far as your uh, AIP, your paleo hmm. uh, autoimmune protocol. And uh, perhaps you can share the difference between traditional paleo and paleo AIP? Yeah, so the autoimmune protocol is a more specific version of paleo that is designed to maximize therapeutic potential. And it was developed initially for people with autoimmune disease where our immune systems are attacking our own bodies. Mm -hmm. But it's really applicable to anybody with chronic illness because inflammation is a component of all chronic illnesses. And what this diet is designed to do is to provide the resources that our immune systems need to regulate themselves, um, while also including a focus on lifestyle factors like getting enough sleep and managing stress and being active. Um, it's sort of like you provide the resources and the opportunity at the same time when you sort of combine diet and lifestyle. Mm. But um, what the autoimmune protocol does is it basically recognizes that people with chronic illness are um, more susceptible to a, a, a negative impact 
from these compounds and foods that are sort of suboptimal. Mm -hmm. So what you can kind of do is you can kind of look at any any given food and you can say, what's in this food that's going to help me be healthy? So we're looking at what's the what's the nutritive value in here? Does it have um, does it have good protein in it? Does it have healthy fats in it? Does it contain fiber? Does it have vitamins and minerals and right. plant phytochemicals? Okay, what's all the good stuff in here that is going to support my health? What might be in this food that's going to undermine my health? Inflammatory compounds, right? Immune stimulators, mm. gut irritants, um, things that negatively impact hormones. I mean, and that can be as simple as refined sugars that cause too high of an insulin spike, right? right. That's a that's a yeah. hormone that we know. We don't want that to happen. So, so would you say in a nutshell so, that th just the main difference between the two is that uh, the AIP goes further by removing nightshades, I would say, nuts and seeds? Yeah, so I would say that we put everything on the scale and we say we want foods that have a lot of good stuff for us and not very much bad stuff for us. Mm -hmm. And what the autoimmune protocol does compared to paleo is it draws a stricter line. So we say that if you're a healthy person, there's some foods that have lots of nutritive value, but also maybe some bad things in it, like tomatoes, right? Tomatoes are nutrient powerhouses. They've got some really compelling vitamins and minerals in them. I but at the same tomatoes. time, I know, so do I. I it's them. so great. Like they make well, me so they make me so sick. Yeah, when I'm making a sandwich, it's just mm -hmm. not the same without tomatoes. I've gotten used to life without tomatoes. <laughs> um, but tomatoes, so they have they have this great, right? They're so well known for their lycopene content, for example. Mm -hmm. But they also have two different compounds in them, quite a strong concentration that have been investigated for use in vaccines because they're such good stimulators of the immune system. So you have this food where you kind of go, okay, well, look, it's got some pretty bad stuff in it, but it's got lots of good stuff in it. So on a standard paleo diet, you go, well, look, the good stuff is 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 probably going to contribute to our health more than the bad stuff will undermine it. For a healthy person, we're going to go for that. Someone with autoimmune disease has a genetic predisposition to an immune system that overreacts. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go, well, in that person, we're not as resilient. You know, we're just not, we're just not as robust. And it's terrible to say, but it's just life. You know, we, we, we did not win the genetic lottery. And so we probably have bodies that are going to respond more negatively to those inflammatory compounds mm. than we are going to get benefit out of the nutrients. So we're going to cut that food out. Meanwhile, we're going to add an even greater focus on the most nutrient-dense foods in our diet. So lots and lots of vegetables, lots and lots of seafood, including mm. fish, shellfish, and sea vegetables, mm. and trying to include organ meats in our diet, right? All of the foods that have the most nutrients per calorie that we can get our hands on. Great. Let's stop right there, um, Sarah. I just want to take a moment to tell you about DreamHost. DreamHost.com is the award-winning web hosting service rated by PC Magazine. With their current rates and positive reviews, I couldn't think of a better company to recommend. You can get $10 off a one-year hosting plan or $25 off a two-year hosting plan when you use the promo code CALLEN. K-A-L-L-E-N. DreamHost.com. PCs Magazine. Best web hosting service. Basically, you, basically you advocate this diet because, uh, you know, you've seen a science yourself that uh, this type of diet, you know, is, is great for chronic illnesses, which often, in, in most cases, are autoimmune diseases. Uh, for myself, I was very attracted to uh, the paleo uh, a AIP because uh, I am a type O as far as yes. my blood type. I'm a type O. So, so it's uh, very similar to the paleo diet already. Well, well I w it, w it was much easier to just kind of make the transition. 
yeah, it was much easier. So, um, but what about Sarah for someone who's who's like a type B or a type A, and where and where that advocates they eat more uh, dairy, more more fruits and vegetables, and not so much of the meat. You know what? I guess I guess I guess I guess the primary question is. What do you think of the science behind the uh, the blood type diet? And then what would you say to the person who leans more vegan or vegetarian with the paleo approach to be a good transition? So um, the, the blood type diet has been very thoroughly debunked um, by people who are very familiar with the science. And mm-hmm. there are some good articles within the paleo community about where the pitfalls in that approach are. Um, and I know that Rob Wolf, who is a, a very um, important leader in the paleo movement, has been quoted as saying, well, the blood type diet works if you're type O, right? And he's, he's really sort of said, you know, if you're type O, the blood type diet actually looks very, very similar to the paleo diet. Um, I think there's some concepts behind it that, um, that are, are good ideas, mm. but there just isn't the science to support it. And I think that when you take a more rigorous scientific approach to diet, um, we find a couple of things. So one thing that we find is that first and foremost, nutrient density is the most important thing. Getting all of your nutrition is the most important thing. Second of all, we have to recognize that people respond differently um, to different foods. So uh, part of that is our genetic makeup. Part of that is how stress and how much sleep we're getting and how active we are impacts how our bodies respond to things, but that we can make some pretty sweeping generalizations. For example, we can say that grains are never a nutrient dense choice. Mm. So if you put together a plate and you, you know, you think of, uh, say, a serving of, of meat, uh, you know, one or two vegetables and a serving of grain, that grain on your plate at best has you know, a couple of minerals and some fiber, if you were to swap that out for a vegetable, you're going to get the same amount of fiber, less sugar, and probably up to 10 times um, as much vitamins and minerals for that same portion of vegetables. And so when you swap out uh, grains for vegetables, you win every single time. But you even win if you increase your protein size because meat and seafood also has, now we're talking, you know, two to four times as much nutrition. Um, it's, it's not, and now you're talking about, well, God, that doesn't have fiber, but it's still going to be a more nutrient dense food. Meanwhile, vegetables and meat don't have the inflammatory compounds that grains have. So I think that, um, I think that this is where we get into this more detailed discussion about the merits of an individual food. Does a food deserve to have a place in our regular diet mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, should it be something that, becomes a treat. And within the paleo community as a whole, healthy people within that community would put grains in the same category as, you know, desserts, sugars, junk food. Mm, And that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they're never going to eat them. Somebody who's healthy and doesn't get overtly sick when they eat wheat might have it once a week. Mm. But it's a different thing to say that food is going to be a treat food versus a staple of the diet. And, and our tolerance for these types of food, of course, changes based on the overall nutrient density of our diets. If we're getting everything we need, we tend to be able to handle suboptimal things better. But also, as I already mentioned, sleep and stress and activity are all important inputs into how how our body responds to food. Great. And 
that kind that kind of leads into it because uh, for me, uh, I would say generally, you know, you know, I am a healthy person. But anytime, as you talked about uh, very uh, very well in your book, how, how the importance of stress plays a role in your in your health, it can really change things around. Uh, for me, I, I I didn't notice I had an autoimmune condition until uh, after working so many. Uh, uh, 12 to 14 hour days as an entrepreneur trying to get capital and all that things, you know, it, it, suddenly I just broke down and I had this like this huge uh, like knot in my stomach and I was, I, I didn't know what, I, I just initially thought maybe, hey, maybe it's acid reflux and then it went from one day to a week and I was like, well, maybe this is GERD and, and I didn't realize that realized until I, I got my blood test done, that was something, you know, much more serious, you know, definitely classify as an autoimmune uh, mm -hmm. disorder. But that kind of reflects on, uh, you know, the things that you highlight about the importance of, you know, managing your stress uh, more efficiently. Uh, so that way, you know, even when you consume healthy foods, your body is, uh, is, is able to uh, operate optimally. Let's talk about that, Sarah. Let's talk about sure. uh, these chronic illnesses and these autoimmune diseases, the rising epidemic and, and how a diet like AIP can be a solution. So um, autoimmune disease gets very, very little airtime in the media. I mean, we don't talk about it the way we talk about cancer, cardiovascular disease. Meanwhile, there's about uh, double the number of autoimmune disease sufferers in America compared to people affected by cardiovascular disease and about four times as many as people who are affected by cancer. Um, it's about one in five of us. So that's 50 to 60 million Americans that mm -hmm. are suffering from at least one autoimmune disease. But autoimmune disease is this, is this very broad umbrella, right? It includes approximately 140 different diseases. And there's no such thing as an autoimmune disease specialist. Mm -hmm. So you go see the, the type of doctor that deals with the organs that are affected. Mm -hmm. And that, that makes it very hard as an autoimmune disease sufferer to A, get an accurate diagnosis, B, get a diagnosis that is accompanied by the word autoimmune disease, and then C, get any kind of guidance as to what other changes we can make that will help us be healthier. So if you get a diagnosis of cardiovascular disease, you'll get a list of, you know, things that you can do to, to you know, improve your health, like mm -hmm. stop smoking and be more active, right? Like these, there's this list of things. When you get a diagnosis with autoimmune disease, a, most of the time there's there's not a, a good medication option. All of the medications are symptom management. None of them address root cause, so there is no cure. And then B, we tend to sort of, like, here's your steroids, off you go. And so it ends up being um, a very, very frustrating situation for something that affects so many of us. It's really sad that there aren't better resources, there isn't better information, and that there's not better recognition of not just how this group of diseases impacts quality of life, but also, you know, on a, on a more um, practical a policy type level, how much autoimmune disease costs our country between, you know, the, the medical bills um, for, for, you know, various aspects of diagnosis, follow-up, uh, flares, treatments, hospital stays, and how much it costs in terms of days missed from work, right? Inability to, to maintain our jobs. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, there's a whole pile of different things going on here. So one is, 
increasing awareness of autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Two is increasing education in terms of what we can do to give our bodies the best situation in order to to be healthy despite our conditions. Mm -hmm. And then C is just really um, honing in on, I think, developing a a, a better um, medical community in terms of awareness and um, and ability to provide education. Yeah. So so you have these different autoimmune disorders. Actually, I didn't even know a celiac disease was an autoimmune mm-hmm. disorder until I read your it's book. It's one of the most common ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I, 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 that's a test that I have, I have yet to get done. I'm not sure if I have that. I do know I have a gluten sensitivity. I'm sure of that. Like if I, if, if I eat it, if, if I, if I eat, um, you know, a moderate, uh, amount I, I can notice I can I, I can notice some changes in my body however if I eat a little bit it doesn't really phase me at all so you know but at the same time it's, it, it'll be best that I go ahead and get tested for that but there's so many autoimmune disorders uh, down the line I think there's like over what a hundred of them right Sarah and, um, so it depends on how you count them so there's about a hundred that are absolutely confirmed autoimmune diseases we know without a shadow of a doubt mm. what um, what antibodies the body is making by accident, what tissues are being attacked. There's about another 40 or so where we're pretty sure they're autoimmune. Mm-hmm. There's some, there's some, you know, details left to figure out. But you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, chances are good it's an autoimmune disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's still another collection of a couple dozen diseases that we see things in common with autoimmune disease, but we're not sure, or we see are the diseases that are frequently comorbid with autoimmune disease. So things like fibromyalgia, mm-hmm. it's not considered an autoimmune disease, but we see it incredibly commonly mm-hmm. in conjunction, right? In the same person who, as a person who has autoimmune disease. So there's either, it's either that fibromyalgia is autoimmune and we just haven't figured out what's being attacked yet, or that there's some way that the immune system is not functioning properly in fibromyalgia that if it's not, the way it's not functioning in autoimmune disease just leads, one leads to the other. And then it's tricky too, Sarah, because some autoimmune disorders, they have the same symptoms. And then sometimes Hmm. those symptoms are vague or there may be no symptoms at all. So it's like uh, many times, you know, people, they have like these intermittent problems and they think, oh, you know, it's just a it's just a bad day for my body. And it could really be a problem, um, but they're not aware of it. You know, often people that, you know, they go years and years, you know, they may get a basic checkup, but they don't actually get these uh, these more uh, thorough tests to see, you know, how their levels are doing. That's, some, that's something that, uh, that you advocate for as far as people uh, get certain tests done uh, to make sure that their body is in optimal condition. Maybe we could talk about that. Maybe you could mm-hmm. talk about that. Maybe that could, maybe maybe how that can help someone maybe discover unknowingly that they may have uh, autoimmune disorder. So um, yeah, there's sort of I have like three different answers I want to give you all at the same time. So I'm going to try and put that together coherently. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk to the the first point that you were mentioning about um, autoimmune diseases looking very similar to each other. There's certain symptoms that seem to span a huge number of autoimmune diseases and they tend to be symptoms that we dismiss, right? So it's things like fatigue, um, joint pain, headaches, anxiety or depression, um, digestive difficulties, um, and we tend to, you know, various skin problems, rashes. We tend to, we tend to go, oh, well, you know, I'm just stressed. 
or yeah, I get headaches all the time, whatever, you know, or, oh, my joints hurt. I'm getting old, right? We have all of these ways that we accept not feeling good. And we just, we just, you know, like, ah, oh, well, whatever. It's not like I can do anything about it. And there's even diseases that are considered, you know, diseases of old age, like rheumatoid arthritis, which is an autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. We don't have to get arthritis just because we get old. It's just that those are people that it's taken longer for um, diet and lifestyle and toxin exposure and the genetic predisposition to catch up to them in the form of an autoimmune disease than some, you know, a, a young woman who's getting Hashimoto's thyroiditis at puberty. So it's, it's, we're so used to just saying, eh, you know, whatever. So I'm tired. I'm run down, mm -hmm. right? I'll just caffeinate myself, like whatever it is, right? We just, we, we self-medicate. We take, you know, drink a couple glasses of wine to help us sleep at night because we're not sleeping well. And we drink three cups of coffee in the morning because we didn't sleep well last night. And now we're going to stimulate ourselves and we try to mask it, but it always catches up with us. If people want to stay in contact with you and follow you, how would they do that? So you can find links to everything that I do, including all of my social media sites. If you just go to my website, which is www.thepaleomom.com, you can learn about my books, my podcast, and my television show pilot there. Great, great. Sarah, thanks for being our guest. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening. Just another great episode by Callan Diggs, best-selling author and career strategist as seen at Fast Company and Inc. Magazine. If you're not on an email list, you're missing out. Go to reachingthefinishline.com and subscribe to get all the exclusives.